0: Grace to you in peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So everybody got their Lego, right? I want you to hang on to that. So one of the ushers will get you one. All right now I'll let you know why we're going to have that thing. Oh I like the slide, Jared. Wow, he's really good. Uh, feel free to play with that one Lego, by the way, and you have to have your own Lego. All right. Um, now Allie read uh, from the book of Nehemiah this morning. Not Nineveh, Nehemiah this morning. And I apologize to her in advance for um, having some difficult words and difficult names to to read. And I know if you are one of the persons that reads here at this church, you were probably saying, whew, glad it was her and not me, right? Because I'm going to have to study on it. So. Um, if you have your Bible with you this morning, I apologize for not uh, giving you a page number in the Pew Bible, if somebody finds that, uh, look, go up ahead and look, open up to the book of Nehemiah. And so if you're turning to the book of Nehemiah, and you don't have to do that, but if you're turning to the book of Nehemiah, you'll discover that it's in the Old Testament, of course, right after all the uh, first and seconds, you have 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, then you have Ezra, and you have Nehemiah. Actually, I'm just stalling long enough to help you find it, it's, that's supposed to be funny, but all right, that's fine, that's all right. Uh, but I actually, am, I'm telling you that to make a point. Um, when we're reading through the Bible, um, it's, it's important for us to get the context of where we are, um, not only in, in the scripture passage that we are, but in the book of the Bible where we're reading, where we are. And that's what I want to do for you this morning. So um, while I was in seminary, I took two classes at the same time. I took Old Testament 1, and I took Hebrew 1. I took them together. That just made sense to me. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew, and I wanted to study Hebrew, so I took them at the same time. Now, um, I bit off way more than I could chew, uh, because the first, one of the assignments in Hebrew 1, there's four classes of Hebrew, and in Hebrew 1, one of my assignments was to read the Old Testament in Hebrew. The Old Testament in Hebrew. Now, Hebrew um, reads um, from right to left, Right? So it's completely backwards, and and the book opens backwards. So you're starting at the back of the book and opening, it. it's kind of confusing. So all morning I'd be sitting here pouring over these uh, passages and reading and trying to figure out what I'm reading and learning Hebrew as I go along. Um, So I'd be doing this all morning, and then at at lunchtime I would take a break and I'd sit down and try to read something in English, and it was like my brain flipped the other way and I couldn't handle the left to right kind of reading anymore. So um, it's kind of, when we were in Japan, you know, you drive on the wrong side of the road, And when I got there, something flipped in my brain and I could just do it. I don't know what went right, but I just couldn't, I didn't question it. The less you thought about it, even a stick shift, I I could shift with my wrong hand and just go. But then when I come back to the States to drive, you know, as I've been driving my entire life, I would be doing things like flipping the windshield wipers on instead of the blinker and I'd be going around the other way and... It's crazy. Okay, so, one of the things, getting back to the story, getting back to the point, actually, um, one of the things that I discovered while I was reading the, the, the Hebrew Bible, now, the Hebrew Bible, in Hebrew, obviously, uh, it's in a different order than our common Bible, than the Bible is today in English and other translations. Um, and they do that because um, the Hebrew Bible is in, chron- in chronological order. Now, What you're going to find in chronological order is Nehemiah is the last book of the Hebrew Bible. So that's where we are in history. That's where we are in context. A little bit further, this is just so you can win a trivia contest sometime later. You have Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament in our book, right? Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, Ezra and Nehemiah were actually originally one book written by Ezra. So Nehemiah didn't write Nehemiah, it's about Nehemiah. So they originally were one book. And then um, later when they decided, you know, we're going to split these into two, and it's a very natural break where Nehemiah is. It makes a whole lot of sense to break it there. It was called First Ezra and Second Ezra. Only later in about the 16th century did we rename it to Nehemiah to kind of eliminate some of that confusion. So again, there you go. So you'll win a trivia contest on that sometime uh, going on. So all right. Um, so, you uh, still got your Lego, and you still got your Bible, and you got your hand on, on Nehemiah, right? Okay, so, we've got to go into a, a little bit of more context. That kind of sets the context for the time where we are. So, we're at the end of the Old Testament, right? The next thing that happens after Nehemiah is the Messiah comes. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later on. But, so, okay, so now... Uh, where is Nehemiah and what's going on in, the, in world history right there? So, all right, so a little bit of uh, Jewish history 101. And man, we could spend months talking about that, and even if we did it every day. So, I'm just going to pinpoint it to where what we're talking about and why it's significant to us. Um, and again, we're going to talk about, um, say, in the context of God's message to us this morning what He wants us to take out of this room with us, how He wants us to be changed from the inside out. So what happened was, Israel had basically destroyed itself from the inside out. A lot of in-bickering going on, and, and that's what God said. God said that, that there's, nobody else is going to be able to beat you, uh, only you can beat you. And so with all this internal strife went down, and Israel's enemies were you know, wringing their hands, were getting ready to go in and attack. And then they did. Um, they started to attack um, tribe by tribe, one by one. Um, the Babylonians, mostly, by the king, you've heard of him, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Or if you're into veggie tales, it's Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? Something like that. So Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, the Babylonians came in and they conquered, um, they conquered Israel. And what the Babylonians would do... Uh, is that they would take away the basically the ruling class. Um, anybody that they saw that was worth, worth anything, any uh, scholars, any um, um, you know educated people, anybody that could contribute to a society, they would take them out of that uh, society that they conquered and they'd bring them back to Babylon. That's why we see um, we read about guys like um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being brought back to Babylon because they were skilled people, they were educated people, they could contribute to the society in some way. So again. Um, and God was very specific about this. Now, again, if you're, you know, if you've read through the Bible, you know, cover to cover, if you've read through the Old Testament, some of this stuff should make you wonder a little bit because the stuff that happens in Nehemiah earlier in the Bible is talked about and prophesied about later on in the Bible, specifically Jeremiah. So when they get drugged off to Babylon, right, then God talks about them through Jeremiah, which in our Bible is further on, but in history is before all this happens. But in Jeremiah 29, you guys following me? Jeremiah 29, 4 5. This is what the God says, the Lord of hosts says, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He said, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Skip to verse 7. It says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray to the Lord on that city's behalf where I have sent you, for its welfare you will have in its, I'm sorry, in its welfare, you will have welfare. In other words, succeed wherever you are. Wherever I'm sent you, wherever you're going, uh, you have to you have to live there. You have to succeed. You have to build houses. You have to live in these areas that I'm going to send you. Now, that word exile, um, I just want to talk about that real quick. Um, it's uh, it's God's exile. the The Babylonians didn't exile the Jerus- the, the Israelites from Jerusalem. God did. That means to be carried away. So God said, I caused you to be, I used the Babylonians to carry you away because they had turned so far away from God. God said, I got to do something to get your attention, and this is the way I'm going to do it. But then he tells them later, also in in Jeremiah, he tells them, you know, after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. And that's what happens. There's a few plot twists in there just for good measure, like. Um, Mostly the Assyrians taking over Babylon, conquering the Babylonians. So now the Assyrians are in charge. Well now the Assyrians, I'm getting fact check here, the Assyrians um, now had a whole different way of running things. And so did the Romans. They said when they conquered an area, they wanted to leave the leadership in place because that kept everything solid. It kept everything um, running the way they wanted it to. And really what they wanted was to get the taxes out of these people. And so it was in their best interest for things to be running straight. Okay, so now God used them and used their style to get the people back to Israel, get the people back to Jerusalem. So first, King Cyrus. God changed the heart of King Cyrus. You can take that verse off of there. God needs the heart of King Cyrus, right? And he sends this guy, one of my favorite Bible names, Zerubbabel. He sends Zerubbabel back to Jerusalem. Now, when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, they leveled the temple and they destroyed things. You know, like the wall and everything was just a mess, just a bunch of rubble. So, Zerubbabel goes back. Um, Zerubbabel, his name, um, you can if you had it, on, we had it on the board, we could break it up. But it's Zeru, Babel means planted in Babylon. So he was there in Babylon. They'd been there for a long time. So they'd been there for, for 70 years. You know, They'd been there for all this time, sitting in Babylon, growing in Babylon, thriving in Babylon, right? And so doing the things that God said. Well, God said, all right, now I need you to go back to Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel, now he brings some people back with him. Again, they wanted to bring some of that solid leadership back there because the Assyrians wanted to get their tax money out of that, out of that region. So Cyrus literally sends Zerubbabel back to um, Israel, and you can read this in Ezra, uh, this is the second chapter, he brings back 42,360 people with him, so it was a throng of people, 42,000 people, 360, go back to, back to Jerusalem and after they get settled for a while they start rebuilding the temple that was their goal was to rebuild the temple to get jerusalem back to what it was and in the assyrians of babylons everybody knew that that's what got jerusalem really going and the israelites really going was having a solid temple to live in so all right so now they start building this, this temple because like i said solomon's was destroyed by nebuchadnezzar in the, in the babylons after they had beaten them so things looked pretty well they had some opposition to what was going on there but not really and it said, you know, that the, when the temple was being built, there was, it was beautiful, they said, because um, all the stones were quarried and milled other places, and then they just brought them to the temple. And they said when they were putting up the temple, it was in peace and quiet. There wasn't a construction zone like we see things today. They said, no, nah, they were just stacking up these blocks. Everybody still got their, their Lego, right? They said everybody was just stacking up these blocks, and, and that's, what, uh, that, that's how it was going. And they thought everything was really cool. They thought everything was good. Until they went to dedicate that temple. Now when we look back at uh, when Solomon's temple was um, dedicated, when we see in, like in Leviticus and, and in 1 Kings, um, when the temple was, was, uh, was dedicated, um, the fiery cloud of God's presence, that's where God's presence was, A fiery cloud of God's presence came and dwelt in the temple. Well when they dedicated Zerubbabel's temple, that didn't happen. And it didn't bother most of the people. Some of the elders and some of the scholars were scratching their head and they were lamenting over the fact that this didn't happen. And so they were wondering what was going on. They were wondering what, what's happening and, and why are we so shaken up by this. So you think maybe your Lego is so that we can build a temple, right? But it's not. We're not building the temple this morning. We're going to get a little farther into this. So now, okay, so now, Zerubbabel has has rebuilt the temple, and things are going, but again, God's presence isn't like they expected to see it, and so other things are going on. So now, fast forward to about another 60 years, another 60 years go by, and another wave of people is sent back to Jerusalem, this time led by Ezra, right? Ezra, the book right before Nehemiah, or in Ezra 1 and Ezra 2, or 2 Ezra. Ezra brings about 50,000 people back. Now, the, the reason they're going back is um, to turn the people back to God, to really get Jerusalem and the Israelites back to Jerusalem, back to the Israelites. So they, they want to talk about um, um, reading the Torah. They want to talk about studying the Torah. They want to talk about the community and how the, how the temple and how that whole thing relates to their entire community. So if we look at Nehemiah 8, uh, 4 through 7, and we want to look at uh, Nehemiah 8, verse 4. Do I have that, Jared? I didn't give you that one. Nehemiah 4, uh, no, I'm sorry, Nehemiah 8, um, verse 4. Not going to happen. Going to happen. Not going to happen. He's nodding. He's waiting. So, there you go. Excellent. Okay, so Ezra the scribe stood at a, wooden, at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood... <laughs> A whole bunch of people. (laughs) Some on Ali's, like, come on, man. (laughs) Some on his right hand. I think that's the important part. Some on his right hand and some on his left hand. Can we zip on to verse 5 there, Jared? (laughs) Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people, standing on that platform, right? Think about your Lego and this platform that they built. When he opened the book, opened the Torah, all the people stood up. Why do we stand when we read the gospel? Well, because we see things like this in the Bible. It's not just because we don't want to get cramped and want to loosen up. No, we see things like this, so we do things like that. Verse verse 6. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered... Oh, while lifting their hands. All right, back up a little bit. All right. Ezra, blessed the, uh, the Lord, the great God. Raise up your hands. Raise up your hands. There you go. And they said? Amen. Well, and then they bowed low. Don't do that. You smack your head on the pew. They bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. But I do want to ask you this. When's the last time you worshiped the Lord, the great God, with your face to the ground? He said, this is an amazing thing we're looking at. This is an amazing God that we're worshiping. When's the last time you just laid it out on the ground, face flat down, and prayed to God? Verse 8. Where are we? Oh, we got some more on verse 7. I'm sorry, is it verse 7? Also, a bunch of other people. There we go. Allie, come on, man. <laughs> But these guys were Levites. That's the important part here. These guys were Levites. They explained the law, the Torah that Ezra was reading to them. He, they explained the law to the people while the people remained in their places. So they didn't just say, we're just going to throw this at you. No, they said, we're going to talk about it. We're going to teach it. We're going to learn how this applies to our lives. We're going to learn about what God is telling us and what he wants out of us, what he expects out of us. Right? That's what they're talking about. So verse 4 says they built a platform. For this moment, so Ezra could stand on this platform. Maybe our Legos would be a good thing to make a platform out of, but again, not so fast. So, all right. All that was introduction. Because I want to introduce to you now the star of our show this morning. The subject of today's lesson about how we can apply God's words and directions to our lives. Do we have this picture here, Jared? This is actual photo of Nehemiah. <laughs> okay, it's not an actual photo of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, I'm I'm assuming, I'm I'm trusting, I'm hoping that you that you know a little bit of his background, know a little bit about what's going on here. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, to um, King Artaxerxes, and being the cupbearer didn't mean that you just poured wine and and tasted and gave it to him. Now, you became an advisor. You became part of the king's court, right? And so now they're living in modern day Iran. But um, again, um, Nehemiah is going to be a very important person in this king's uh, life. And he's living a pretty good life. You know, two waves have gone back to Jerusalem and Nehemiah hasn't gone. So he's doing pretty good here, right? And so he's thinking, you know, 42,000 people went, 50,000 people went, and yet here Nehemiah is um, in working in the king's court, kind of as God had commanded him. Like I said, Jeremiah happens way before, uh, before Nehemiah. So as God had commanded him, he said, you know, live there, work there, thrive there, pray for them, make sure that things are going well there. Now, so Nehemiah then takes place, uh, or this section of Ezra, takes place about three years after Ezra goes back to Jerusalem. So the temple's been going and rocking for 60 some odd years now. Um, Ezra went back and they're teaching the Torah, they're teaching about how things are supposed to be going, and we're expecting now that Jerusalem is going to be changed. We're expecting that Jerusalem is now going to be um, back to the city that God um, envisioned and that God gave them. So, so um We have to understand a little bit before about Nehemiah here. Nehemiah um, understood, um, now stay stay with me for a second, that he served two kings, one capital king and one small lowercase king. Um, Artaxerxes on the horizontal level and Jehovah on on the vertical level. Um, Nehemiah's name, the Yah, a Nehemiah Yah, is actually Jehovah. means Jehovah comforts is what Nehemiah's name really means. And so now... Um, so some of the people come back to, um, to Susa, where, where they're living, where he's the cupbearer, where he's working as a cupbearer. Some people come back where Nehemiah lives, and he immediately asks them the status of what's happening back in Jerusalem. Notice now, he's living at the height of this earthly kingdom. I mean, you don't really get a better position than where he is right now. But, um, you know, he's, he's asking about how things are going back uh, with the church, going back with, with that community. And I, and I wonder, if, would that be our first response? Would we really, you know, is that where our concerns would be or is that where our thoughts would be? So now the, the preg- progress of the, of the heavenly king he's asking about. He's, and he's expecting great news, but, but he doesn't get great news. Right? They give it to him straight. They use words like they're, that they're living in shame. They're living in shambles. That's going downhill really fast. And he's crushed by it. The city is in disgrace because the walls are broken down. Now that doesn't only mean that it's not protected, but it's also a kind of a status symbol around, the, around God's city, around God's kingdom. It does make them vulnerable, of course. So now two things happened here. right? He was weeping, he said, for days, he said. He's weeping and mourning for days. He's fasting and he's praying. And he's, and he's praying some pretty um, amazing stuff. Now, I, I realized while I was putting this together, we can take Nehemiah off of there. So I realized pretty quickly, um, but a little late, um, that this could have been easily like a four-week series. So we can talk about Nehemiah. I'm going to push it down the road. We're going to do that a little bit later as we get into uh, the fall and maybe even into the spring. And one of the things that we're going to talk about is this prayer that Nehemiah lays out in front of God. Then the king said to me, um, the queen, I'm sorry, uh, the king said, I'm at the wrong spot. Oh, here we go. Somebody took Nehemiah out of my book. No, here it is. He said, I, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves a covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. He said, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer "...of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned." He goes on, he said, "...we've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses." He says, Remember the word with which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. He understands exactly what's going on and what got them there. But verse nine says, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them through those of you who have been scattered, were in the most of remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants, he goes on, and your people, whom you've redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. And then he says this, Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to rever your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. He's talking about the king. And then he says, now I was a cupbearer before the king. So he's talking about all the things that got them there. But then he prays God's promises back to God. He so said, this is where we are, but you said when we get here, and if we, then you, he said, I'm, I'm calling back on your promises. That's a wonderful thing to pray, to pray God's promises. I tell our youth group all the time that this is a book full of promises. And we start tapping into those promises. God is faithful and just. Right? That's what we say here every morning. God is faithful and just. We start praying his prayers back to him, and he's going to listen to us, and he's going to answer them. So now here we are, right? Like I said, the Lord comforts. So now he goes and he, 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 takes, his, he takes his plan, right? He takes his plan, and he goes to the king, and he asks for help. And he gets help. He gets help in uh, all kinds of ways. He gets not only permission to go, but he gets supplies. He gets an escort. And immediately he starts putting a plan together to rebuild this wall. Right? He sees an earthly need. He sees an earthly way to support God's kingdom. He sees an earthly way to support God's kingdom. The first thing he does is he scouts it out. He rides around the city a couple of times. Does it at night so he doesn't draw a lot of attention. So no one knows it's happening. And then he says to the people, he says, God is with us. God wants us to succeed because we're doing his work, we're doing his plan. God's going to be fine with this whole idea. So they make their plans on this project, on how to handle this incredible project. In the next few chapters, maybe we can have Allie read those because it's full of names and families and people who actually do the job, they are actually doing the work. And they get named, they get named and they get called out in a good way because of what they handled, how they handled it, or rather where they handled it. See, each family was responsible for the piece of wall that was in front of them. Just stick to your lane, handle this right here. And then the opposition really came. Zerubbabel got a little bit when he was putting up the temple, but not like this. The other people didn't want that wall to go back up because, again, it meant that Jerusalem was going to be back now. And they kind of liked things how they were. They didn't want Jerusalem to be the old Jerusalem. They kind of liked this new one that was in shambles and in rubbles and easily accessible. So the opposition came and they took up weapons to defend it. And they took different roles at different times. Uh, sometimes I'm going to build and you're going to defend and sometimes I'm going to defend and you're going to build and we're going to do this together we're going to get it done. But we can't do it alone. We've got to work together. Individually, different parts of the wall... And they're doing the same thing over there, and they're doing the same thing over there. And you can read about these families that Nehemiah and Ezra wrote about. And because of the dedication of those Jewish people, the willingness to put everything else aside, putting everything else aside, and focus on that task with unity of mind, right? They were able to, you probably know this story, they were able to rebuild this wall in 52 days. I read one time that they did it in record time, and I thought, there's a record for this? How's was there. Something that we keep track of? So now how about that sweaty Lego that you're hanging on to? Maybe you're thinking we're going to build a wall together. Right? Maybe. Again, like I said earlier, this message could easily be a series. There's so many points to ponder, so many things to reflect on. But here's what I want us to take home this morning. This is what I want us to think about. For the longest time, people, the people, the Israelites, were living in Babylon. They weren't allowed to go back to the temple. You know, there was no temple to go back to. And for a brief moment in our history, people living right here today, there was a moment where we weren't able to go to places we wanted to go. We couldn't go to the church. We couldn't go to the movie theater. We couldn't go to restaurants. We couldn't go to Packer games. And then things got opened back up again. And some people now remember the, in Babylon, a lot of the Israelites just kind of said, "Ah, eh, you know, I'm kind of doing this now. Not so much into that anymore. We've got to get beyond that here. We've got to get beyond that and come back to what we were and to build it back better. Little by little, with God's guidance, with God's protection, his comfort... Nehemiah, the Lord comforts. With his comfort, the people put it back together. First the temple, then the Torah, then the wall went back up again. And in that same way, here's where I'm going with this. In that same way, God has a mission for us here at Grace to build on what we're doing here, to go places with our ministries, to make a difference not only in our lives but the lives of different people around in different areas. They couldn't build that wall without everybody pitching in. Nobody, Ezra doesn't write about anybody that stood on the porch and waited for somebody else to fix the wall in front of their house. No, everybody rolled up their sleeves. They stopped everything else. They rolled up their sleeves and said, We're going to do this and we're going to do this together because it's going to take every one of us to do our ministries right here. To accomplish God's will here, it's going to take everybody. we got a Sunday school program that we're going to rename, by the way. I saw Brooke out here. we got a name yet? We're going to work. We're rebranding Sunday school completely, but we can't do it alone. Brooke is a Sunday school coordinator, but she can't do the job of 15 people at once. 15 people that are standing on their porch waiting for her to go and build a wall. It doesn't work like that. Every one of us has to be in on that. Same with our youth ministry. Every one of us has to be in on that. Don't expect someone else to do it. Don't expect someone else to build your share of the wall. Every once in a while, put everything else aside and say, you know what, I'm all in on this. I mean, I'm going to figure out where I'm in. There's a lot of holes in the walls of our ministry that to be filled. Sunday school program is going to take an all-hands-on-deck approach. So is our youth ministry, all-hands-on-deck. I haven't even talked about the nursery that we're going to open up because a lot of families have said, you know, there's no churches in the area that have a nursery and we could really use one. Let's do that. That's a ministry. Let's minister to the people that are around that need that. Don't stand on the porch and let everybody else handle it for you. We need every Lego in the box in order for all this to work. So that Lego now, I want you to think about this as you, and as your contribution to God's ministries, to serving God. So I want you to take that Lego, and I want you to put it someplace where you're going to see it, maybe on your dresser, maybe somewhere in the bathroom, maybe somewhere in your car. And when you see it, I want you to think about, are you contributing to God's kingdom Are we contributing to it, or are we waiting for somebody else to do that for us? And God says when you do that, when you start to contribute, even that little piece of the puzzle, that little Lego, he says, and Nehemiah says, or Ezra says, that God is glorified. They wanted to put that wall back up because God was glorified. They wanted to put the temple back up because God was glorified. We want a Sunday school program that's going to glorify God. We want a youth program that's going to glorify God. That's what they said about the wall. And then they said with them, they said, Surely God is in this place. And then it becomes a platform for us. Like Ezra was standing on that platform, it becomes a platform for us to share God's word word and God's power. To share his comfort, to share his peace. In a world that desperately, desperately needs him. And then we stand on the porch and we expect somebody else to do it. Even though we see that need. Well, let's get that Lego and let's get it someplace where it needs to go. So, put that Lego of yours someplace in a place where you'll see it often. And then pray that God helps you recognize where he wants to use you for his glory. I'll hold up your hands and say, Amen, Amen. Amen. That looked pretty good. Let's stand, please.